And our belief was that we wanted to help reps workflow, automating the note taking, automating the CRM data entry, automating the scheduling, those things we did. And we said the byproduct, the other side of the coin is your leadership also gets insights. The solution was deployed as a workflow automation solution, not as a intelligence and monitoring or analytics tool. Hello and welcome to Go to Market with AI, a podcast for sales, marketing, and customer success leaders using AI to scale their growth operations. I am your host, Connor Jeffers, and I'm joined today by Aditya Katadia, founder and CEO of Avoma, which is very relevant to the AI conversation. And so I will let him introduce Avoma and how it fits into all of this and all of the cool stuff they're doing, and then we'll get into it. Thanks, Connor. Really excited to be here. And uh, yeah, as you introduced, I'm a co-founder and uh, CEO at Avoma. We have been building Avoma for the last six years. Uh, AI is obviously a buzzword now, so everybody is adding some part of AI to their offering. But we were one of those uh, AI first company from day one. That was the hypothesis. We'll try to get into that as also how we started it. Uh, but fun fact, what Avoma is, and even just the name, it's, uh, it's, it's an acronym for a very organized meeting assistant. And so when you think about it, that's really how we started thinking about building an AI system from the day one. And what it does, it records, transcribes all these customer-facing conversations, analyzes them, uh, automate the note-taking for you, automate the notes and save those notes into CRM, and so provide a lot of uh, actionable insights so that you can, for all customer-facing functions, can perform more effectively. So that's very high-level overview what Avoma is. I remember the first time, uh, and I don't remember if it was you or Mark, your your customer success leader, but someone on your team told me that Avoma was an acronym. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Because I think I think not only is it, it's a perfect name in that it is both uh, linguistic, it's pronounceable, uh, and it means something, uh, which is much more to be said for all yeah. other sort of like five letter startup names. So I love it. Maybe something as a starting point, and I, I don't know this story, and I'm legitimately extremely interested in it, which is you say sort of AI at the outset. And I think to your point, everyone's talking about we do AI this. If you add .ai, you know, your, your series A number goes up. Uh, and from the outset, before AI was cool, you were out here seeing this. Tell me, where did sort of the, I, not the idea, but the, I'm going to make this into a company. I'm going to build this into a thing. And what was sort of the response at the time now that AI and conversational intelligence in this space has become a thing? And you were starting this business and raising money for this business before that ever happened. No, uh, you're bringing me now in my all memory lane. So, but uh, yeah, this is, this journey started, I would say, I will not take full credit for this. And uh, my previous company, um, this is back in 2009, uh, was into social commerce space. Uh, it was called Shopalize and we were building social support and marketing offering on top of Twitter and Facebook. Was uh, that, that your, company, your first one? Or you, so you're yeah. serial, was that number one, this is number two? Yeah, this is my okay. number two company. So that company, uh, again, I got uh, lucky enough, fortunate enough, company got acquired by a large customer support company called 247.ai. And uh, in 24-7, so they wanted to acquire our company for all the customer-facing conversations on Twitter and Facebook. So we were analyzing all these Twitter or Facebook conversations. At that time, uh, natural language understanding was still popular. So it was part of machine learning AI stream to understand the customer sentiment, what's going on in the customer support world. So that and was my that first... mostly text at that time? Yeah, it was predominantly okay. text. 
and uh, this is where how I got exposed to the voice uh, side of the things as well. So my first company got acquired, and this is back in 2013. And uh, I stayed there company for many years. And uh, part of the story, so the visionary CEO at that company pushed me to start figuring out what is the self-service experience of customer service is going to be. And one of the uh, technologies that they had at that time was, if you remember, uh, what people call IVR, this uh, mm-hmm. you call 1-800 number, and then you listen to the menu, press one to do this, press two to I, do this. I remember I was doing, what, 2013, probably 20, I remember like talk desk. I don't know when yes. talk desk was a big thing, but I remember yes. this was a big deal in the sale. This was like the hot trend in CS was yep. you can make them route themselves and you can get it to the right place and do this omni-channel thing and everything else. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's exactly what we were doing, but for enterprise gear customers. So okay. 24-7 operates in the similar space with the contact center, um, you know, customers like Amex and Capital One and Best Buy. These were their customers, very large mm-hmm. enterprise. So any few minutes that you automate, they have thousands of customer support agents. So imagine the customer support volume they have. And so any few minutes that you can optimize in their customer support used to be huge time savings. Yeah. So I was given this charter that, what is that uh, self-service experience? What can we automate from these live agent interactions? Um, and at that time, we initially built the product for the text chat-based support, chat support uh, interaction that you see now in intercom and all of that. Again, I'm, I'm telling you literally, we had this back in seven, eight years ago. Yeah, uh, We would automate these things. We would not, um, the generative AI that you are seeing right now, it was not as advanced, of course. But at that time, the deep neural network uh, was getting really popular. So DNN is what we call. And one of the things I realized that we were working with Microsoft speech recognition engine at that time. And I saw the accuracy was phenomenal at that time. And I was like, oh my God, if the AI can detect the speak to, uh, the speech to and translate into text that accurately, uh, there were so many different options that were possible. And my aha moment was that I was in the product leadership role there. So I used to still build the product, but I would be constantly in front of customers, um, pitching on new ideas, new vision, trying to sell, go on our sales calls. And I realized that so much insights were getting, getting shared at that in those calls that our product team were never having, uh, had any access to those conversations. So my view was that, hey, why don't we, um, I had domain expertise now of building AI products in text and some sort of speech model, but I was building it for customer support domain. And I realized that me as a B2B kind of a professional selling to B2B companies, I felt my life was all over the place. I'm doing all this bunch of meetings, taking notes, manually typing all these notes, sharing different flavors of notes with executives, different flavors of notes with our engineers. And it just felt like I'm spending way too much time and the nuances of the feedback is getting lost. So that's when I um, realized that, hey, if the accuracy is so good, why don't we do something in my own, solve my own problem and start solving for the meetings? So that was the aha moment for Avoma's journey. By day one, we knew that this is going to be uh, AI-based product. And uh, we also knew that it's actually a very complex product. So I'm going to probably dedicate 10 years of my life to solving this problem. Uh, I made sure that my co-founders had that kind of commitment that this is not going to be quick, easy sell. Because my first company, to be honest, got sold pretty quickly within three years. I got lucky. We made decent money. And we thought, okay, now we found to solve the next problem. 
it has to be a lot more complex problem. Uh, nobody had anticipated that generative AI uh, would become as popular as it, it had become. Uh, but yeah, we have been uh, working on the generative AI for the last six years, pretty much. Yeah. I, so something that, that I'll harken back, you and I had a, a conversation, I don't know, some back before it was cold in New York. So sometime this past yeah. summer about fundraising. And I, I was sort of going through the same thing. And you did a really good job of putting my pain in perspective. If I was complaining <laughs> about going through this fundraising, like, oh my God, you're doing all of these on Zoom. Like I, I had to go to California and block whole days. And like, now you can actually work during it. And I thought that that was very prescient. Uh, what, what was the reaction as you were going through that at that time to AI centric pieces? Cause right now, I mean, now there's, there's a, like venture memes of, oh, are you doing AI? No, like, oh, I'm not super interested. Uh, it didn't sound like it was a super easy conversation to me when you were telling me about it, but no, it was not. It was not. So the funny thing was that even though you aren't I seeing this, this... On, on, on video, <laughs> on his face, just he's like he went back to his like he just saw the, the explosions and smoke out in the distance of his war history. Though it, it is, I mean, it's it's like oh my god, uh, you're trying to remember me all those days, uh, the painful days. Uh, there were actually some good moments as well, and uh, so. The interesting thing what happened at that time, when I started Avoma, um, I left my job full-time. I did not have co-founder. We did not have a product, but I knew this is the problem I want to solve. I met with lots of PhDs, lots of people who had worked on this summarization problem, but unfortunately, no one was willing to actually start a company. Eventually, after six months of constantly talking to lots of people, I was doing customer research and trying to go deep into the problem understanding. And at the same time, I was trying to build a team. Eventually, I um, had my co-founders agreed to join startup with me. We started building the product at, at that time. And when we started talking to people, people at that time, Gong and Chorus, were already live. Um, they had raised a lot of capital. They were instilled, but the product was already out, and we didn't know this. And I was like, oh, my God, it's exactly what we wanted to build. Uh, but they were much ahead, um, more kind of uh, senior people who had done some some of these things also. A lot ahead in the game also. Um, and on the other hand, we also saw some other companies like Voicea and Otter. They were also they had also raised a pretty uh, decent amount of capital. Uh, they had also launched the product. So when you get into the market, that's when you realize that now there are you're not the first one and there are many companies. Uh, but at that time, it was not... Um, I still felt like both these products were solved in a different way, where the way we were thinking of the problem was not exactly that. So there was no U-turn for me to go back and join another company again. So I still kept talking to investors. Uh, we decided to raise capital at that time, uh, knowing that, okay, there are people who are much ahead of us. And so we said, okay, we also got to now invest resources. And we got lots of no's, lots of rejections, largely because people thought there are four or five players, the market is over. Yeah, And I was like, how can that be over? We, the, here is the gap that the way I see in the market and uh, but uh, very few investors got ready to invest, um, and all you need is one investor. So that helped us to raise our seed capital. We raised one million dollar at that time, and very little capital compared to all the other providers. Uh, but eventually, uh, the problem was also was you're raising capital, also you're building and you're trying to sell. And so at that time, before the COVID happened, uh, you had to go the way you had to come to California. Even we are yeah. living in California. Every investor meeting takes five hours. Yeah. And then it was taking so much time away from your meet on um, day-to-day operations and running business. It was a very painful process. 
especially when you get so many rejections. And the worst part was, I would be absolutely happy if I would get rejection on the first call. Yeah. The problem used to be, people would love our immediate differentiation, our initial prototype, what we had built, the generative AI capabilities we had built at that time. Um, and then the first partner would get excited. The more they get excited, then they would bring the same argument. Oh, what about Gong? Why wouldn't they do what you're doing? What about Otter? Why wouldn't they do what you're doing? And eventually we would get no. And it by the time you're investing these four or five meetings. So that's when I had a little bit of frustrating moments early on the pre-COVID fundraising. Uh, luckily, I, I think we, the thing that yeah. I just, I want to latch on to, cause I, I it just like is resonating <laughs> with me so much, which is the same thing. You're like, I spent one call with you. We had one conversation. You didn't get it. It's not for you, whatever. And I think you have this, at least I felt anyway, that this, this air of, uh, reverence feels extreme, but like reverence or deference to, to the investor folks. You're like, Oh, these are really smart people. They're going to get it. They want it. And then you like are spending a lot of time and yeah. you get to the end of it and they're like, ah, I don't know. We just don't like it. And you start to wonder, am I crazy? Am I doing yeah. the wrong thing here? And yeah. I think that was something that I feel before going down the fundraising path, a lot of people had, surfaced to me and said and you're yeah. like oh yeah you know it's hard and i don't know man it, it's just like getting hit in the face every day yeah but you learn right so this was yeah. my first time raising that kind of capital um and then when we started building our business it started growing um and then we we got to a million dollar in arr so we said okay now let's do series a and at that time we um i had a completely different mindset uh, first of all uh, this is right after covid um, and so people, investors were still on Zoom. Everybody was still on Zoom. People were not uh, meeting in person. And the window was about to open. So yeah. I had to time like, okay, I'm not going to go through this in-person meetings again, uh, chasing all these investors. Before everyone starts in-person office, as long as everyone is on Zoom, let's immediately start raising capital. And our revenue also had reached to a point where I felt comfortable. So we went and raised capital. So the two things I did, one is, I would say 99.99% investors I met on Zoom. So yeah. uh, we didn't, even our Series A investors, lead investor, we did not meet them in person uh, post after the round was closed and everything else. And there were all these myths like, oh, you can't build relationship and all of that stuff. I didn't believe in that. If you're authentic, if you're transparent and everything else, even with Zoom, you can build great relationships. Uh, I felt like those are just the excuses people have. But I totally um, agree with so, you. Yeah, so it, it didn't really matter. So we, we raised the capital. We got a lot of commits and everything else. But the, here is the thing, another thing I did. Second time around, I told investors. By that time, the funny thing was that many investors who had rejected us in the beginning, because of COVID, Zoom became popular. The remote work became popular. Our story started re resonating and everyone wanted to invest. And people are still funding this 10th player, 15th player. I'm like... When we had five players back in two years ago, the market was saturated. <laughs> and now you're funding the 50th player? I don't understand. Yeah. But investors also, um, I lost a lot of respect from investors, to be honest, at that time. I realized that these guys are all FOMO guys. Nobody has a context. Uh, nobody has strong belief of certain things. Um, and so they had capital and they just wanted to deploy at any valuation for anything didn't really matter. Is it truly going to be a $100 million company or not? And how many $100 million companies you can build this in this space? Uh, Gong and Chorus were already much ahead. So that was definitely a perspective we had. And so then I started, when I went for Series A, 
I was very strict about these things. Like if you're going to eventually give me the reason that Gong and Chorus are there, and that's why you don't want to invest, give me that answer right now in the first call itself. I don't want to invest time with you going through the rabbit hole of this process, three, four meetings, and then you bring the same reason after talking to your all partners. So I was very little bit to some extent um, arrogant, but maybe a little bit of that, that confidence was there that you come Nothing on board, hear the objections. To yeah. buy or, or invest than if you're like, I don't just, I don't really care. You just let me know. To some extent it was there because we were growing, yeah. we had revenue, things were working and we needed capital, no doubt about it. We also got a lot of rejections, but I was trying to optimize my time rather than sacrificing running business. I said that I'm not going to invest more time with you if you're already not committed. This is not, let's not kind of learn and you get educated by me sharing a lot of information. To sure, you. sure. So that's what happens. And uh, so I was mindful of my time based on my previous learnings. Uh, but again, obviously, you need that level of confidence. You need that traction to kind of demand those kind of things. But yeah, those are the experiences of my fundraising journey at Aboma. Oh, thank you. That's amazing. Uh Tell me about, so something that, that I think is really interesting, and I'm curious about both where, what segment you guys started with, but where you're at is mm. Avoma is not just focused on sales and sales centric mm. function, which I, I think a lot of the folks in this arena are kind of focused on more of that sales centric. And a lot of people love building sales tech because it's yeah. easier to sell. They have budget. They're trying, nothing's easier to prove than, oh, it'll help us get more cash in the door. And I'm super interested in where do you see functions of teams and and what do you guys see some from customers beyond just like the sales recording and coaching component yeah and this is this goes back to from day one people always ask me well did you how many times you did pivot uh, or what all different things you tried and to be honest this is exactly what we have been trying to build from day one uh, the reason was that we had extensive customer research and uh, i'll tell you the reason I said that why we still felt there's a gap in the market, while Chorus and Gong existed at that time, they were predominantly focused on sales coaching as a primary use case. Um, and when I look at any time competing in any market or any product uh, as a startup, I look at three things. What's your market? Uh, what's your product? And then what's your go-to-market? And you, if you want to compete, you have to have differentiations, at least minimum two. The best is definitely you have to have in three. So can you have a different market? Can you have a different product? And can you also have a different go-to-market motion? So when I looked at Chorus and Gong, they were all top-down uh, focused on sales coaching as a primary market, going after mid-market and enterprise customers, uh, very top-down sales-led motion. So the go-to-market motion was also a sales-led. And I felt like, okay, I see that's a primary practice, but I didn't believe that in the next four or five years, that's going to be a predominantly the motion that people are going to love it. On the other hand, you had the... Uh, Otter and Voicea. These were insanely horizontal products. So a meeting professional can use it. A student can use it. Journalist can use it. A podcaster can use it. So when, when, you, when you say horizontal, you mean non-specialized in any particular function? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So all functions, any use case. And the problem was that with that approach, I felt it was predominantly just the transcription play. There was not much workflows yeah. that were built not much kind of AI analysis was built around that. And so I felt these both the approaches were good in their own thing, but I felt there is something in the middle. And for me, it was corporate professionals, but customer-facing professionals. And when I say customer-facing, it was not necessarily only sales. It meant that 
you could be client engagement, customer success, partnership. Um, and I felt even recruiting to some extent. And all these, even a sales leader, when I've looked into it, they do some sales calls, but they also have a lot of internal one-on-one -on -one meetings. Mm -hmm. And even there, the note-taking was important part. So I felt restricting a sales tech tool only for coaching um, and only recording external calls, I felt it's limited. But I didn't want to also go too horizontal where anybody can use it. We wanted to still optimize the workflows for knowledge professionals who only do meetings. So we say no to podcasters. We say no to students, uh, universities. That's not our ideal customer profile. But if somebody only wants a woman uh, for sales coaching only use case, then we get them in the door, but eventually they realize that, okay, they can use Avoma for more than just the sales coaching, uh, for internal note-taking, collaboration, all the other use cases also happen. So that's kind of the vision we had from day one that we believe that um, go-to-market functions work very collaboratively. There's a handoffs happen throughout the process, starting from SDR to sales, uh, sales to customer success, or sometimes implementation. And I felt you need to build a tool that goes across all these functions to persist the conversation history with that account because SaaS companies have optimized their functions. Oh, AEs are going to only do this. They're going to hand mm -hmm. it over to CS. Uh, CS are only going to do this. They hand it over to somebody else. And But the customer is only the same person. We are handing over for our efficiency, but the customer is getting bad experience because now after AE does discovery, CSMs go on, on the call and CSM says, can you share me your business initiatives? I'm like, oh, and I just, I I just spent a super long time telling everybody else upstream. Yeah, exactly. So the whole idea was that how do we really simplify this account handoff process and make sure that there's a context persisted, people understand these things, people leave, there's already churn in some of these go-to-market functions. So when these happen, how do we not end up giving bad experience to our customers? So that was the vision I already had that we need to build a product that scales across all the functions, not just for the sales coaching, but for customer success and note-taking workflows as well. So that's that's kind of the genesis we had at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I, so it's super interesting for me. And we, I'm I'm an Avoma customer across two different businesses. What's interesting about you said is we we use it for everything. And so I, at no point, and I'm I'm this gets to a question, I promise. But I think for us in at Aptitude Eight for services, our sales team uses it. We take all those call recordings. They inform our scoping process. So sales engineering, they can go escalate and ask other people who weren't on the call and we're not saying, oh, well, do they do this thing? And you're like, I don't remember. And my notes yeah. don't say it. And instead we have the call recording. I think there's an efficiency component of that, but there's also just nothing better than the actual customer language and what the customer is looking for. And so we see that use case there. We use those every time we have a, a new deal move from our sales team to our service team, there is a step in our on internal onboarding of, all of everyone on our services team reviews all the Avomas. Uh, it's, yeah. it's noted, you're written in our internal systems. Yeah. They go through, they watch all those calls to understand what is the customer trying to do? What is their problem? How does it inform what I'm doing? And our services team uses that to inform everything they do. And then in the event there's uh, a escalations for us as a whole other like account management, engagement, there's a customer, maybe we're behind schedule, maybe it's their fault, maybe they're upset about something. We use keywords in Avoma to flag and trigger CSMs to get involved and go talk to those customers when they're frustrated. And we also use it across recruiting. But what's interesting is, and we do it for technical interviews. We record all of our technical interviews so we can exactly. circulate them to other people and get their feedback as well. Uh, and then on the software business, happily, we I, I think what you touched on it at the beginning, right? And I think 
most most people in product are like, I should build a product for product people. And then you're like, yeah. there's not that many product people and no one gives them <laughs> budgets. Uh, so let me go build a product for other people. But we do it a lot for uh, customer research or Slack all the time is, hey, you should listen to this snippet. We just showed a preview of this product to somebody. They're really excited about it. You should hear about it. And I think for me, I'm so spoiled being an entrepreneur living in the world of recorded meetings where yeah. I, I can just be like, oh, send me the recording and I'll watch that. And that, that like thinking about not having that freaks me out. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> my, my question for you is like, when you're having these conversations with customers, how often is it, it's, it's a, is it a single team and a single buyer? Is it, are people looking at it as I want to buy across the entire organization? Do you have to do a lot of education for them to understand why they do that? No. Yeah. So Look, I have to give credit to Gong for being a Gong as a market leader, right? So they're amazing in what they've done in marketing and they've educated the world. And the world looks at this world in a unique way, like, oh, the sales team is what we need this for. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times that's what people do come in. And there's but what's demand. interesting though for sales, yeah. right? Is like, it, I, at least I feel it comes from a position of distrust. Like people are just anxious about what their sales team is doing yeah. all the time. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like, I need to... The sales team having calls that I can't review and I can't coach yeah. them and like, what are they telling people? Yeah. And that fe that fear is a big motivator. There is, there was that effect, like Gong, a lot yeah. of Gong customers come and tell us that, hey, this is about uh, Big Brother monitoring, the mm -hmm. VP of sales is monitoring my calls. Uh, sure, reps do get value, but the way we were, this is where Avoma's uh, solution was very different from a story point of view also. If you look at it, what Gong's positioning and story has been that, Observe what your reps are saying. They are saying pricing were at this point, or they're not saying these things at that point. And so that's what the emphasis was on how reps are saying certain things. That's important. But what we did was we said, well, it's not just for the big brother monitoring. Let's actually help people who are on the front line, which is the reps themselves. What are reps going through? So we looked at reps end-to-end -end meetings lifecycle. What did they do before the meeting, during the meeting, after the meeting? What do they hate most about those workflows? So note-taking was a big workflow. Uh, entering data into CRM was a big workflow. Uh, scheduling back and forth was another workflow. So we started listing down all these workflows. And we said, when we want to deploy a solution which has higher retention and higher adoption in the product, then let's go ahead and build something for the reps who use this every single day. Here's the thing inside the we had at that early on was people were going buying Gong 10 licenses, 20 licenses. And when I would go and ask VP of sales, uh, how do you like Gong? Oh, we love Gong. How do you, how often you, what do you do? Well, once in a while, I'll go back and listen to the call. So it was basically an insurance policy. You would mm -hmm. go back, watch calls once in a while. And then I would ask reps, how many of you are using it? Well, you know, three people are actively using it. So you bought 10, 20 licenses, only three or five people are using it actively. Something was missing because reps were still taking notes manually. They were listening to calls if something was forgotten. But the CRM data entry still was happening manually. And we said, these are the gaps are in the market, the way the solution was built. For coaching use case, fine. Leaders are getting value once in a while. What if we give value to the reps on an everyday basis? And this is where even our pricing reflected that. We said, we will offer monthly pricing. Why are we locking you down in an annual contract? If you are happy with monthly pricing, we believe in our product giving you value on an ongoing basis. If you fail, you will churn. So we took that bold step. Nobody at that time was offering this monthly kind of pricing. And our belief was that we wanted to help reps workflow, automating the note-taking, automating the CRM data entry, automating the scheduling. Those things we did. 
and we said the byproduct the other side of the coin is your leadership also gets insights but the primary thing we solu- the solution was deployed as a workflow automation solution not as a intelligence and monitoring or analytics tool and that's the difference that we did with from a positioning point of view we we had to educate customers customers would come in because gong was educating them the demand was being generated by gong so we had to capture that demand and then try to tell us that how are we different we were not like oh a woman is a cheaper gong sure we yeah. will we wanted to be affordable and flexible but that does not mean that i wanted to be a cheaper gong and uh, we had these stories narratives were different we were challenging customers that you are starting here but what about your customer success team what about your internal teams even though um, i would ask the le- sales leaders how do you do your pipeline review and they will say oh i do this i do this do you give feedback to the reps do the reps uh, take notes for those uh, action items you are telling them in those pipeline review meetings they do and then are you recording those meetings they are not is the feedback then actually getting implemented how do you know that action items are not getting dropped so when people when we educated our buyers like that they immediately started realizing how are we different than gong compared to just oh this is not and so people started telling me aditya now there are six or seven conversation intelligence tool all of them we compare in one bucket everyone gong is the top in that bucket gong chorus clary uh, whatever there were a couple of other ones and the navoma is completely different mm-hmm. it changed how you have told us in terms of the workflow as an organization some people come came and started telling us this is our operating system you mentioned some of this thing right now when i had not heard how detail you use it across different meetings so people started calling us that this is operating system for our go to market function and even the product function um and that was something enlightening and that's kept us going even though the market was getting competitive um all of those things but we realized that what we believed early on is resonating with the market and people are liking these differentiated product offerings what is the is there something that you think of either that your your team does uh or that you have a customer that's done that's just i i'll give you some more context like i think the coolest part of building product is not when people do the thing you want them to do and it works yes. but when they do something that you never even imagined that they would do yes. and you're like wow yes. that's incredible uh yes. is there anything that jumps out to you or that you guys do with Avoma that you think is really really different or unique uh tied to using it as a as an AI meeting tool oh so many things like a lot of to be honest i give a lot of credit to our customers who are pushing us all the time um they are leveraging Avoma in different ways that we didn't think about and uh, like some of these interviews and you talked about avoma has a very built-in privacy centric approach so one of the simplest thing was that we realized that gong's philosophy was that every call is visible for anybody to go and listen to right when you're doing internal meetings you don't want your internal meetings to be available for rest of yeah. the org to go so then you have to manually go change the permission all of that stuff so when people started using avoma for internal meetings and one-on-ones and recruiting calls they wanted certain level of flexibility in terms of how this default privacy works and so we said okay all internal meetings by default will be private and all external meetings you can define have more controls you can decide you want a private or sure. visible to org or public and all of that stuff so those are the kind of things people started loving the way how they were using it i'll give you another example recently one customer came in and we had slack alerts for a long time so one customer came in and he showed me how many slack alerts he had implemented and i asked show me some of the things that are the way you're doing it 
one of the things um, was that a lot of the time salespeople or customer success people will say on the call that, oh, let me talk to my product team. And uh, those words, talk to my product team, is they say that to the prospect, if the yeah. prospect had certain but audition, then they, don't talk they, to <laughs> they forget about it. They're yeah. not getting paid to go and share feedback to the product that, team. That means like, don't worry about it. And we'll move on. And if you sign, then it'll be exactly. someone problem. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, let me exactly. talk to my product team. Exactly. And so, but we said, okay, how how can we actually learn this voice? And so this customer had implemented these different phrases and they had implemented the Slack alerts. And so I learned this from them. We I did not see how my sales service were saying, and they were exactly saying the same thing. Yeah. I went back and looked at it. And now we have completely automated how you get the voice of customer um, oh, and so our product cool. team monitors the Slack alerts and they're getting some distal notes, the deal size. So there is no back and forth. Oh, what's the deal amount? Uh, is it important feedback? Should we give? So now you know what is the deal amount? What is the use case? What are the key notes that have been discussed in that? You automatically get all of this information in a Slack alert. So the reps even don't have to manually explicitly share this information. So the voice of customer um, is automatically being shared and product team is acting on it. So those are the I, some I of the things think that, from what yeah. you're saying, like, can, can you claim that you're a customer first or a product? Like if you don't record these interactions and circulate them through your organization, then you're going to be very hard pressed to be like, Oh, we're extremely customer centric. Cause it's, you're, you're, you're customers that will take the time to talk to you and give you the feedback when you follow up with them centric, which is a completely different thing. I have such a huge gratitude for our customers or people who have given us feedback, who have pushed us. Like there is no way. Now, obviously I will say this, but if you go and talk to my team internally, you will see that one of the constant feedback I end up giving every single day, how does this benefit our customer? Start from customer. How does this benefit our buyer? How does this benefit our reader? Even if you're writing a blog post or an ebook or whatever it is, are we thinking about them? Or are we thinking about us? Sure, you have, as a customer success manager, you have goals to book more meetings with your customer to go do the renewal. What's in it for them? Have you thought about their goals, their things? So every interaction that we are trying to do, the customer centricity is cliche, I know it, but is you can see how we operate on a day-to-day basis. Without customers, I think so many things that are cliche, though. Honestly, the more... It's, it's funny. I think the more that I lead organizations, the more things that in the beginning you sort of like roll your eyes and you balk at. And I think of things like, oh, you know, like leadership, having leadership of people who can do leadership is so important. Our culture is so important. Transparency is so important. And you hear these things and I think it's easy to be like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. And like, I I totally agree with you. And I think it's, it's really easy to be like, oh, we really listen to the customer and it's really hard to do well. And um, I, here's another thing, right? So we rolled out one change yesterday. Some customers did not like it. <laughs> and uh, uh, immediately I got backlash. There is a particular CEO who reached, I did not even know the CEO, to yeah. be honest. Uh, but I was somehow connected with him on LinkedIn. He immediately came back on LinkedIn saying that, hey, big fan of Avoma. We raised our Series A, $100 million valuation. And most of the credit goes to Avoma. Like wow. literally from day one, we have used Avoma to understand the voice of the customer. Uh, build the product the way customer wants. So all our growth, I, and he's like, I want to write a special letter to you. You have no idea how much I love wow. Obama. And I had never met this person okay, yeah, in yeah. the past. And then he said, the only thing right now, this yesterday's team that you launched, 
team is not liking it can you do something about it that's a powerful uh, but <laughs> yes exactly really powerful but <laughs> So he was buttering me up to make sure that I made this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, But but really then it also, and then when I said, no, 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 so uh, you're not alone. We got the same kind of complaints from other customers. So we are uh, rolling back that change and we will have this change by tomorrow. So I was very happy again. Again, he said the same kind of positive sentiment. So you can see that companies are, some people believe that Avoma or something like this is only useful when you have a large sales team. And then you're trying to do a sales coaching at that time. I said, even when I was an individual founder, selling and talking to customers is how we build the product. I would not have time to go and share the sentiment the way you said, like it's not just the voice of the customer in what tonality they mention. It's important your product and engineering team understand the voice. One of the biggest thing I used to focus on that, you know, Paul Graham had this, that there are sellers and then they're builders. These are the only two people you need in the company and a startup. And my <laughs> goal was that, how can I get these two people as close to as possible? So the go-to-market team, get them together from sales, CS, all of those to work with really well with each other. But at the same time, how do we divide the gap between the product org, what they're building, and what go-to-market team is selling? When you reduce the gap between these two functions, that's when you have the fastest product market fit. And so I cannot comprehend you on that, that even Avoma's, we, when we were at 1 million ARR, we were, I think, what, 15 people company. Yeah. And at that time, the idea was that we were able to quickly understand what was the customer's requirement. We would immediately go back and optimize it and build it. Here's another thing. When we hired our VP of sales, we started talking about uh, the deal win rates. And we said, okay, he told me that the, the, your win rates are pretty high, 50%. And uh, the industry standard is around 25%. I said, 50% is high? Why is not 70%? <laughs> so I'm like, why should you lose a deal? If somebody is coming and talking to you, and then I told um, our VP of sales that, look, if any feedback a prospect shares in our call, if it aligns with our vision, I need to know that. The way Avoma got to this point is immediately prioritizing those requirements and the workflows that customer cares about, the workflows they need. Sure, you might lose one or two deals, but the next time somebody comes up with the same requirement, I don't want us to lose the deal. This whole SaaS industry believed these benchmarks that, oh, 25% win rate is good enough. Complete crap. Then yeah. you put a lot of money at the top of the funnel. You have this, oh, it's a numbers game. money's too hard to come by now. Yeah, and now it's difficult, right? So now you yeah. want to convert every single deal. So my view was that 50% is not good enough. I want 70% win rate. Only if somebody has some completely random needs and requirements, sure, we will lose that deal. Who has time to go and evaluate products and not buy? If somebody's yeah. spending time with me, that means they have an intent to buy. Why don't then I convert them? So that used to be my mindset that I, I don't think understanding customer requirements and immediately giving it to the product team and product team acting on it on a priority basis is how you become truly customer-centric and then you try to get the product market fit sooner. And you you definitely improve your win rates purely because of that. So something you just told me, which I, I, I don't know, you, it made a connection in my head that's so interesting, which is uh, at the very beginning of Happily when we launched Zebra, I was doing a lot of founder-centric selling and I feel like I was able to move out of founder-driven sales much much faster because we were yeah. using Avoma and because we were doing the call recording, because I was able to immediately give somebody here, look, 
Go look. I, I onboarded the first rep. And I was like, here are the top 10 deals we've won. Go watch all of those calls, read all the emails, read everything, go through the CRM. Here are the top 10 deals that we lost. Give me and write me up a summary of why did we win these ones? Why did we lose those ones? I couldn't do that if we didn't have the call recording, no chance. And I could go and have him send me anything of like, hey, this came up with a customer today and I didn't know how to handle it. And now I can coach him and talk to him about it. I think what's so interesting is I, and I don't know that I have the, Here's Connor. I, I could make a really annoying viral LinkedIn post of like, if you're starting a new business, <laughs> buy these tools. But I, I will tell you, at the very beginning of Happily, I immediately went and bought HubSpot. I bought Gmail. I bought Slack. Uh, and I bought. I went and got, uh, we used Rippling for HIS. I bought that. Yeah. And we added a Voma instantly. Like yeah. I, it, it seriously wasn't even a consideration because I felt so strongly that I, I don't, I think there's tremendous value in being remote. And I think that the value of having all of that knowledge uh, yeah. recorded, shared, available, being able to be distributed throughout the organization. I don't know. I've never built an organization that I didn't have that. And I, it like freaks me out. Like, I can, like yeah. it like makes me sweat. I can feel it. No, I've, I've, I could talk to you for hours. I have one last thing that I really love your perspective on because I think that you have probably one of the best ones in the space because you and your team spend a lot of time thinking about it, which is you guys are coming in and advocating for an AI product, you are probably one of the first things someone is buying and investing in that is an AI centric tool. Uh, how does somebody who is looking to bring that into their organization, help get people over the hump of we, we should make this investment, we should make this change. And I think that you guys are probably one of the first ones that come into an organization. And it probably gives people one of the first experiences of, wow, this is incredible. Like where else could we use this? Uh, and I'm sure that there's those early adopters, but how do you help them articulate the value and, and sort of build consensus in an organization? Yeah, so without getting into specific to Avoma pitch, right? But the, yeah. the stories are important. Um, when you try to bring AI, people always also have this this whole risk of AI, both in terms of job displacement, um, also in terms of uh, the bad experiences when AI goes wrong. So the way I always encourage people to think about from two different lenses. One is when you're trying to think about AI, first of all, position it for what is the experience, customer experience is going to be, and also what is the employee experience is going to be. When you think about customer experience, I do not like to deploy AI immediately wherever your customer gets a personalized experience. So you want to probably deploy AI, automate something internal stuff first. And uh, do not like start sending fully automated emails. And uh, is, that, is that crawl, walk, run? Is it just like it, it's lower stakes? You can, it, it's okay to make some errors there? Exactly. Because okay. internal stakeholders, you can be okay if you made you some mistakes. You can apologize too. <laughs> right? So it's, yeah. it's understood. But when you, the brands are so important nowadays. So you don't want yeah. to go and deploy AI with your customer facing uh, customers or prospects and just have fully automated approach there. And eventually it would get there, but there's also a maturity curve of where the AI is today. So my recommendation is always start with your internal team, start optimizing internal workflows, uh, improve the efficiency there, and then slowly use that to optimize your customer experiences as well. So when you think about even employee experience, the stories matter there. Like the way we said, let's say, uh, Avoma versus Gong story, we did not position it as a, a call monitoring big brother effect kind of a tool. We said, this is your personal assistant. It's going to help you to automate the note-taking and automate the CRM data entry. So understand the pain points of these in your employees have 
where are they focusing their time one of the things i ask people that there there will be job displacement that's no doubt that's going to happen uh, but how do you empower your team have the conversation with them what are the strategic things that you do and what are the tactical things tasks that you do help them to focus more on the strategic things that they do having great conversations um having coming up with more creative ideas uh, but if you're doing this tactical stuff of writing some basic stuff or doing this data entry and all of that optimize that automate that so i help people to think about it elevate your team to do more strategic work and help them with ai to take care of their low uh, value tasks that they do and automate those tasks so that way employees feel great about themselves that i'm getting better in what i do best and i'm not i don't have to waste my time in doing the boring task and that's kind of how the best way of deploying ai and then that way your happy employees are now giving the best experience more strategic experience to your customers rather than immediately deploying ai to write automated emails or something like that so that's kind of how i think about how to deploy ai start with employee experience first automate the tactical part first um and use the learnings to give the better experience from a strategic point of view oh thank you so much adjay i could talk to you for hours and hours and hours you are seriously one of my favorite entrepreneurs i i think you are you. if you don't follow adjay on linkedin i highly recommend it he has great he has very great non cringy amazing content i think you are a philosopher ceo who clearly thinks very very deeply about all of the things uh and i truly truly am honored to be able to spend the time with you thank you so much for coming Thank you Connor for bringing me this was great sharing all my past experiences and learning so still learning a lot but this was great sharing some of those Absolutely well thank you so much check out Adjay on LinkedIn check out Avoma thank you guys so much for listening Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Go to Market with AI This episode was produced by Ryan Gunn Jordan Michaelitis and sasley.video Until next time this is Connor Jeffers stay curious stay innovative and embrace our robot overlords <laughs>